I remember a Christmas season uh, many years ago when I was getting ready to preach uh, a Sunday sermon. And for those of you who don't know this and why would you, my habit still today tends to be to try to get into this room, into the worship center really early on Sunday morning and even also on Saturday night and to just go through my sermon and to preach it, just me, my sermon, and empty chairs. And, and that's what I, I was doing many years ago. It was around eight or nine in the evening, so it was dark out. It was at our old building off of Iberia Avenue. When all of a sudden, I felt like there was something heading my direction, which was weird because I was all alone at the church. I turned my head, and coming directly at my face is a bat. Not the baseball kind, but the flying animal kind. And to say that I was startled or surprised in that moment would be like the understatement of the century. I might have let out a little bit of a yell or a scream. And I have no idea where that thing came from. I have no idea how it got into the building. But the question that I have for you to think about is this. What did I do? What do you think I did in that moment after I yelled and screamed? A, just kept preaching with now empty chairs, my sermon, and a bat flying overhead, or B, that I press pause and get rid of the bat before I continued to focus on the preaching. The answer is B. I used my phone a friend option, and uh, a friend of mine came with a big fishing net, and we got rid of the bat. And, and the reason why I did that, there's a, there's a bigger point here, um, on the screen. Distractions can make it hard to focus on what's important. In that moment, my message was the important thing, but with a bat flying around, it would have been obviously really hard to focus. We're entering the, the Christmas season. We're in it already. And of all the seasons of the year, I, I would say that this is one of, if not the busiest time of the year, of course. And, you know, you already have crazy, busy lives. And just a little bit of a side note, you know that you do have the ability and power to make decisions to make it less crazy and less busy, right? Just want to put that out there, have you think about that a little bit. But we have already crazy, busy lives, and then you add Christmas to the mix, and it just gets more crazy and more busy. Here's some of the things that you might be thinking about. One is all the decorating which always seems to take longer than you think it's going to, especially if what happened to me this year happens to you, that you get all the lights out of the storage box and only about half of them work, and you decide, do I use the gun for two or three hours, or do I just throw them away and get new ones? But decorating, decorating takes a lot of time, and then there's all the gifts. And if you're like me, a little bit of the stress over the gifts, especially for particular people, um, is she going to like it? Is it going to fit? Is it going to get here on time? Which, by the way, this year you have a little bit of an out on whether it's going to get here in time. The, the key word is supply chain issues. 
All right? And if you use that word with your significant other, it'll be like, oh, I get it, supply chain issues. All right. Number three, your calendar filled with, with work parties and school parties and family get-togethers and neighborhood parties and all these different things. And then if you have kids, you, you just multiply exponentially by number of kids because all of these things apply to them as well. And then, and then about 10, 15 years ago, someone had the, the smart idea to introduce to the United States this thing. Which, I mean, is fine and it can be some fun. I'm not going to go into details because we have a mixed audience here today. But at the end of the day, you know, it's exactly what I needed. One more thing to think about every single day of December. (laughs) You know, while none of these things are bad, let me get back to what I said before. Um, Distractions can make it hard to focus on what's important. And while these things are good, our, our first fill-in for today says it this way, even good things, and those all are good things. None of those are bad things, the things that I mentioned about Christmas, but even good things become a distraction if they keep you from the best thing. We sit here today three weeks out from another Christmas And this is a good time for us to think about it because we still have the time, the opportunity to shape what Christmas 2021 is going to look like. It's good for us to sit here today and to consider what is it I'm gonna wanna focus on in the next three weeks? It's good for us to sit here and to think about what is it that I'm gonna stress out about and what are those things that I shouldn't stress out about? And that's really what this sermon series is about. It's meant to help you navigate the next three weeks and ultimately longer than that, our Christian lives. It's called um, the reason for the season. And the reason there is a Christmas is not giving gifts, is not decorations, is not parties. The reason for Christmas is in the name. It's Christ. And I know that this phrase is a little bit cliche, and yet here's why it resonates, I believe. Because the biggest temptation that all of us, or at least one of them, going to face this Christmas season is allowing good things to distract us from the best thing. So let me tell you a little bit about where we're going over the next three weeks. We're going to help prepare our hearts, our minds, our lives for the the proper focus on the reason for the season. And to do that, we're going to be taking an inside look at someone that's mentioned in the Bible. Let me give you a little bit of background on him before I mention him. So there is along with all of the things you know about the Christmas account of Jesus' birth, a lot of things that you know um, are like a star in the sky and a, a stable and a manger and shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Uh, pretty much everyone in the room and online have, have heard about those things. But here's something that maybe some of you didn't know, that there was the promise 
about the birth of another person that was intricately intertwined for hundreds of years and connected with the birth of Jesus. That in fact, if you were to read the familiar Christmas account that you read in Luke, Luke chapter two, you may not know, or this might sort of ring some bells for you, that the birth of Jesus is not the first birth recorded in Luke. It's the second birth. There was another boy that was born in Luke chapter one. And that's the boy who turned into a man, of course, that we're gonna be following over the next three weeks. His name is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, a man whose coming and whose life purpose was intricately intertwined with Jesus. Let me give you a few things to think about with John the Baptist. The first is he was kind of a a rough character. We're going to read in a little bit that he spent his time in the desert wilderness. He didn't really interact or at least didn't live in kind of the normal niceties of life. His clothes were made out of camel's hair and he ate locusts. And if you're going to eat locusts, the only way to eat them is not with ketchup, not with mustard, but with wild honey. Exactly, with wild honey. So he ate locusts and and wild honey. And why would he live a life like that? Well, we could talk about this for, you know, an hour or so, but I'll condense it all to say that in a very unique way, John's life was not about him. It was almost like denying himself and the niceties of life and to have his, his focus, which is true of all of us in a little way, but for John, his focus in a big way on someone else and on something else. His role was to point people to Jesus. And I was thinking about like, is there some sort of a, a role today that we could think of that would be similar to, to John the Baptist? And, and maybe not so much in the spiritual world, but for some of you, if you've ever gone to like, let's say um, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, or maybe you've heard about some of these late night shows and, and kind of what goes on when they film them, you, you may know that before Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel or Conan ever come out, that there's a guy that comes, or gal who comes out before kind of the warm-up guy, the warm-up comic. And the reality is, is you probably don't know at all what their names are. You probably couldn't recognize them or, or wouldn't be able to pick them out as, oh, that's the guy that warms people up for Jimmy Fallon because it's not about them. Their whole role is to get the crowd, to get the people ready ready for when Jimmy comes out. And, and that's kind of what John's life was. It wasn't about himself. It was about pointing people to the reason for the season, pointing people to Jesus. And you know, as we think about all of the, the clutter that can get in the way of our focus on Jesus, what I couldn't think of a better guy to point us to what we need to think about than the one whose life purpose was all about that. So today, as we get into our, our first sort of focus, 
we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark was not actually one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Um, He happened to be uh, a Christian, a follower of Christ, but he came to know Jesus through one of Jesus' disciples named Peter. He spent a lot of time with Peter, and most likely his account of Jesus' life was, of course, inspired by God, but also also influenced by listening to Peter talk about what he saw and what he experienced as Peter spent three years with Jesus. So here's what Mark writes at the very beginning of his gospel. He writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I've read these verses before, but this week, as I just had a chance to study them anew, I thought to myself, as Mark thinks about writing this account about Jesus' entire life, I couldn't think of a better way to start it out than to say, hey, guys, what I'm going to write to you about is about Jesus. It's about the good news, the best news. What I'm writing you today is, is not about some plan to get right with God that, that you carry out. I'm not going to write you about good advice For life, I'm writing you good news of what has been done. And it's interesting, that same word, good news, is in the Greek, the word where we get gospel from. That's what gospel means, the the good news. It also happens to be the exact same word that the angels proclaimed on the night that Jesus was born. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people because Jesus is all about good news. Christmas is all about good news that has happened, good news of something that has been done. And it made me think for a moment. If someone who knew nothing about what Christmas was about was kind of just dropped in the middle of 21st century America and asked to um, look around and consider, uh, could you tell me after living here for a week what Christmas is all about? I think they'd come away a little bit confused. It's, it's about reindeer that fly, or about overweight men in uh, red suits, or about some weird-looking you know, soldiers that have the skill of cracking nuts, um, or candy canes, or gingerbread. I mean, I mean there, this is just a, a montage of all the different things put together that Christmas in 21st century America is all about. And again, I'm not saying any of this is bad, but what I would say is it's confusing. It's easy to get distracted. And, and more than what would someone who got dropped in the middle of America think, I think a better question for you to consider, one that applies more to the next three weeks is more of a personal question. It's this one. If someone followed you around for a week leading up to Christmas, what would they say Christmas is all about? (laughs) That's convicting to my heart. What are we thinking about What are we stressing about? What are we spending most of our time focusing on? And again, 
it doesn't mean that we have to get rid of all of it or that you're stressing about a gift for your spouse or a loved one, that that's somehow sinful. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you look at it in its totality, where's our focus? What are we thinking about? Or are we thinking about the reason for this season really at all before December 24th comes? Our number two fill-in. It kind of rhymes to here, so that's why I like it. Christmas is about good news, not to-dos. Christmas is about good news and not to-dos. And so just really practically, <laughs> I-, I want to empower you. I want to empower you to say this nice little word that uh, you all know. You said it when you were a child, but in the Christmas season somehow, we forget it. I want to empower you to be able to say this word. No, we're not going to do that. No, we don't need to buy that. No, we don't need to do another thing. And maybe for you, it's not no. Maybe for you, it's just, I'm empowering you to stress less. If everything's not perfect, the outer parts of Christmas, the things that we see. I'm empowering you today. I'm telling you, it is okay. It doesn't need to be perfect because it's not even about that. See, good news is not a list of things to do. When Mark sat down to write about Jesus, when the angels proclaimed what Christmas is all about, said it's about something that has been done. It's about the best news that there's ever been. That there's a God that loves you so much that for thousands of years, he directed history so that at the very right time, at the perfect time, he would send his perfect son to do for you what we cannot do for ourselves. That good news is about a savior who loved you so much that first he chose to be born and then he chose to die. Not because he had to, but because he loved you. It's good news. This is why we gather. This is why we get together. This is, this is why we celebrate every single week, not of a hope and something that we need to do, but instead of something that has been done for us. It's as good as done this Christmas season. It's not the message of what has to be done. It's this message that there's nothing left to be done. And you're like, well, that's not what my to-do list says. (laughs) There's nothing left to be done. And I want you to live, even in the Christmas season, in the peace of knowing that. That it's okay. And you're good with God because of what Jesus has done. Verse 2. This is the beginning of good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And here's what Isaiah wrote 
700 years before Jesus was born. I will send my messenger. That's not Jesus. This messenger was the guy that's kind of at the center of this, this series, John the Baptist, ahead of you, who will prepare your way. He will be a voice of one calling in the wilderness. That's where he's gonna be doing his gospel work is out in the wilderness. We talked about that. And what is he gonna be saying? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Prepare the way for Christ. If I could sort of describe this in, in our terms as to what that means is that John the Baptist's job as he pointed to Jesus and preparing the way was to, to get rid of the clutter, to remove the clutter, not the, the clutter of Christmas calendars and Christmas decorations necessarily, although I think he still has a lot to direct us for in 21st century America. But at that time, it was the, the clutter of misunderstandings that people had about themselves and that in somehow it was either their, their lineage or you know, some sort of other thing that they did that got them right with God. It was removing the clutter of how they felt about God that in, instead of him being a, a God they needed to be afraid of, he was a, a God that they had a holy fear of that they knew loved them. That's John's role, to remove the clutter. It goes on in verse four. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He, he preached and he baptized, and the, the centerpiece was this word you've probably heard before, Repent or repentance. Uh, Matthew records this about John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John's message, if you notice, wasn't um, shop, for the kingdom of heaven is near, or decorate, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But as you wait for Jesus to come, the, the word was, Repent, which at its very root in the Greek is the idea of, of changing your mind. It's, um, it's an inner looking and, and turning from what we have been doing or, or sinful things that we have been thinking and, and turning to God And this is kind of a in-your-face message. I mean, I don't know that I'd want John the Baptist on the guest service teams here at North Cross. As people come in, I don't, we don't teach people to lead with as you come in the door, repent! <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is near. In Matthew, it's also recorded that... John the Baptist, for some people who are coming to uh, listen to him, he's like, instead of saying, hey, it's, it's great to have all of you guests with us, he said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you children of snakes, repent. It's a tough message. It's a, it's a difficult, in-your-face message. But 
we need to hear it. To, to play this out to the, to the extreme, if we allow sin just to sit in our hearts or if people allow sin to just continue in their lives, it, it can damage that relationship, that faith relationship we have with, with Jesus. And for some, if not taken care of, if not looked at, if not considered, if, if people just stay in their sin, it can, it can throw a wedge between them and God forever. Not that Jesus hasn't forgiven sin. He's forgiven all sin. But at some point, if we're content to just sit in sin, it shows where our heart really lies. And so when it comes to preparation, when it, it comes to how to be ready for Jesus to return. We don't need to be afraid. We do not need to be scared, but we should look inward. That's the best way to prepare is, is looking inward, looking at our hearts and, and understanding who we are and what God has done about it. Our number three fill in for today, getting ready for Jesus is focused not on the outward preparation of Christmas, but on the inward preparation of our hearts. And looking inward is sometimes harder, but almost always better. It made me think of a, a TV show, a reality TV show from uh, some years ago. It was called Kitchen Nightmares. Uh, Gordon Ramsay was the, the guy that kind of led this, um, this show. And the idea was that Gordon Ramsay would come in and he'd help restaurants that were failing kind of succeed again. And as he did, do, do you know where most of the problems were? Most of the time, it wasn't in the dining room where people could see most of the time, the biggest problems for these restaurants were in the kitchen where very few people saw. And, and, and the stove hadn't been cleaned in what seemed like years and they needed to call pest control in or there's food that just should have been thrown out and all of these things. But it's easier to focus. Our hearts, our, our eyes focus more on the things you can see. But the better preparation is inside. And that's not just true with kitchens, it's, it's true with our lives. And the good news is that even as we look and maybe we're surprised or disappointed by what we see, once again, Jesus has taken care of it. And it allows our celebration to be all that much better when we understand the depths of where we are on our own, but the reality of what Jesus did for us. Here's how these verses close out for today. So he's preaching this message of repentance. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John. They were confessing their sins. It's part of repentance. And baptized by John in the Jordan. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one, Jesus, more powerful than I. His whole work and life was about pointing others to Jesus. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. 
I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna talk more about baptism next week. But for today, I want you once again, even as we've had an opportunity to consider the sin in our hearts and the, the repentance that is needed to know that the one who came after John, the one whom he came to point other people to, he was more powerful than John, greater than John, and he is, was more powerful than death itself. That that's who John gave his life for, was the one who changed his eternity and the one who's changed yours as well. So let's apply this as we close. Now, unless you decide to spend the next three weeks on a deserted island or in some igloo in the Arctic, you're probably going to have to navigate some distractions, right? And I don't even think you have to get rid of them all. But I do think it's good for us to prepare, to think about what are ways that I can make this Christmas all about the reason for the season. And one way I'm going to say that is number four. See, even when you can't quiet the noise, we can still quiet our hearts. And that's probably exactly what I know I need this Christmas season. As a pastor, as you work in church, I mean, you just add that to the list of things that are good but stressful. <laughs> and you can't always quiet the noise, but you can, you can quiet your heart. And here's two ways to do that this Christmas season. The one is this, is committing to the next, was it 20 days, 21 days, to have a daily devotion. And if you've never done this before, I think the Christmas season is the perfect time to do it. Five minutes, 10 minutes. And in fact, if you go to um, the Christmas page of our website, just our website backslash Christmas, at the bottom of the page, we've supplied for you um, a devotional for Advent, one devotion for every single day. Use them, quiet your heart. There's so many voices speaking to you during the Christmas season. Let's make sure we're listening to the best one, the right one, every single day. And then, as we consider also John's direction of repentance and confession, I think also, this is maybe something even newer for us, and you probably have questions how and why, but a habit of daily confession. So often we think about confession and repentance being a reactive thing, meaning there's this big thing I just did or said, and now I'm going to repent or I'm going to confess. And that absolutely is part of it. But I really think that daily confession is something that can be a proactive thing in, in getting our, our hearts and our minds in, in a good place, in a, in a peaceful place place. Um, play along with me here with just a, a quick illustration that's going to sound weird at first. I mentioned kitchen nightmares. After your kitchen has been cleaned by Gordon Ramsay, who of us would go out into the dumpster, grab the big bucket of grease that he scraped off your oven, and plop it all down onto your counter? 
Or who of us would go into the dumpster, grab all the moldy food that had been gotten rid of, and bring it back into our refrigerator and use it? None of us. What's your point? The point is, when it comes to sin and when it comes to guilt, so many of us are living under guilt rather than under grace. And when we do that, when we allow ourselves to do that, what we're doing is we're taking all of the grease and all of the junk and we're deciding, I know Jesus, you've taken it away, but I'm gonna live with it. I'm gonna put it back in my fridge. I'm gonna put it back in the kitchen. I'm gonna put it in my soul. Jesus has gotten rid of it. That's the joy of Christmas. Leave it in the dumpster. And the way we can do that, we can be proactive is by having a daily habit of confession. I have one here for you on the screen that you could use. It's also at the bottom of your sermon notes page. So if you wanna take the sermon notes home or use that, make it better. But what if we'd start each morning following John the Baptist's direction and have a daily habit of confession? I pray that you enjoy these next three weeks that there will be time for you to focus your heart on the reason for the season. You see, you can't always control when a bat starts flying at your head, but you can decide to not let it stay. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you for this time to focus our hearts and to focus our, our minds. And I pray, Lord, that this was a blessing to the people who are, are listening today, listening to you and to your word. And Lord, I, I pray that you would so inspire in us uh, through the words of John the Baptist that we might uh, consider what does what does proper focus look like during this Christmas season? And pray that you would be with each one of us to find peace and joy instead of stress and busyness. To that end, Lord, we pray for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.